Hello and welcome to Future Fit Farming, a business podcast brought to you by Royal Bank of Scotland. I'm your host, Dougie Vipond, and in this podcast, I'll be discussing what the future looks like for agriculture in Scotland and how farmers can stay future fit. Joining me today are three of Scotland's leading farmers, and I'm delighted to introduce Joyce Campbell, Robert Neal, and Martin Kennedy. Robert Neal is a tenant farmer in Upper Nisbet Farm, a mixed farm in the Scottish borders. He runs a herd of limousine cross cows. He farms 533 hectares of cereals and all progeny from the suckler herd are finished on homegrown fodder and sold live throughout the year, mostly to local butchers. He's Farmers Weekly Farmer of the Year 2017 and a Nuffield Scholar in 2013. He produced a report on electronic identification in the cattle industry. Robert is also a partner at Robert Neal and Partners and Chairman of AgriScot, the UK's leading farm business event. Joyce Campbell is owner of Armadale Farm, a 5,500 acre hill farm on the north coast of Sutherland. She runs a flock of 830 purebred North Country Cheviot hill ewes, 25 suckler cows and free range outdoor hens whose eggs are sold locally. Joyce is also co-chair of the Scottish Government's Hill, Upland and Crofting Group, set up to consider practical measures which will help the hill, upland and crofting sectors reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And she's also been joint chair of the Scottish Government Women in Agriculture Task Force, which was set up to look at the issues facing women in Scottish agriculture. Martin Kennedy is a tenant farmer in Aberfeldy and he farms with his wife Jane and three daughters. They have 600 ewes and 60 cows on the farm, which rises from 800 feet to 2,500 feet. Martin is also co-chair of the Scottish Government's Hill, Upland and Crofting Group, a position shared with Joyce. Martin is also the president of the National Farmers Union Scotland. Robert, Joyce and Martin, a very warm welcome. Hello. Hello. Hello, Diggy. So I chatted recently in our first episode to economist Stephen Thompson, climate change professor Dave Ray and Sally Williams of the Oxford Farming Conference about some of the major factors uh, facing agriculture in Scotland today. So uh, last year, Joyce and Martin, of course, I mentioned before you were appointed as the co-chairs of the government's Hills and Uplands Crofts Group, dealing mainly with how the crofters can reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The initial findings, of course, were published late March 2021. Joyce, what were the initial findings uh, uh, on the future of hill and upland farming? Now, last year, Joyce and Martin were appointed as co-chairs to the Scottish Government Hills, Uplands and Crofts Group. A remit of the group was primarily to consider practical measures to help the hill, upland and crofting sectors reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The initial findings were published uh, late March 2021. Now, as part of that report, the group laid out their view on the future of agriculture uh, in the hills and uplands. So, Joyce, I'm coming to you first of all. It's uh, it's quite a very serious um, report. So, can you give us some of the headlines, the, the findings from that report? It was a, a massive task to to look at such a wide variation of of land and different issues right across the country but um, you know the the main important take-home messages I think for the industry would be you know simple wins are efficiencies so your carbon audits actually looking at what you're doing just now looking at your health plans making the quick wins which makes us actually more profitable as an industry 
but but we're actually cutting reducing our emissions at the same time and another real issue was like a biodiversity loss and how we can change how we farm but still produce food so that would be for me is it's it's not either or it's doing both and that would be the take-home message that we all have corners of farm that we can plant up with some trees and we can make it a better place to farm but the main thing would be that that we need to be actively farming and we need to be producing food but we need to be doing our bit step up and do our bit for the environment as well Absolutely. And, and Robert, you run a, a different operation from, from Martin and Joyce down in the south of Scotland. So how do you view the future challenges uh, and opportunities maybe uh, for facing farmers like you in this sector? Uh, thanks, Doogie. Um, yeah, there's going to be lots of challenges. And I think personally, there'll be lots of good opportunities for farming um, going forward. But my biggest concern at the moment is uh, climate pressure on reducing carbon emissions that Joyce has just touched on. Global warming, the effect on crop and livestock production, whether it's warmer winters, wetter summers, you know, those challenges are massive. Um, we, see, we see flooding in the middle of the summer, uh, washing crops out. So obviously um, production there is being really affected. Um, we've got a growing population to feed, but the area of farmland is decreasing through natural erosion at the moment and industrial buildings, roads, you know, all, all these types of things are coming into it. So as Joyce did say, we need to produce an awful lot more from less and efficiency is the key. Now in Scotland, um, we are producing, in my opinion, a really high um, valued, um, we've got a great story to tell. And as farmers, we should be shouting from the hilltops of what we do in Scotland. You know, Scotland doesn't look how it does today without farmers. And it is there for the public to enjoy and you know the great outdoors Dougie you enjoy getting out on your bike and walking and your, your programs that you do on telly as a great advocate of, of Scot Scotland and the hills. Scotland would not look like it does today in my opinion without farmers on the ground who are doing what they do at present. So you, you know the challenges are definitely there but I mean those, those um, opportunities though what, what do you think they are more specifically? Um, the opportunities, uh, technology, um, you know, we, we are going to have to be more efficient at what we do. You know, we're going to have to look at inputs, um, but technology and data is key, um, as Joyce quite rightly said. You know, um, yeah, we, we are, there is going to be lots of opportunities, but we need to use every tool in the toolbox to help us reduce our carbon emissions. Yeah. Now, Martin, the report laid out some key messages on how the government could support the sector. So what did you find specifically in this report? Well, I think what the report's highlighted, um, as Joyce has already hinted at, it's not about looking at things in individual silos. I think, you know, we've got to look at food production is what farmers and crofters do in Scotland. And, and as Robert said, we do it extremely well and already in a sustainable manner. But we need to look at all three. Biodiversity is key. Climate change targets are serious targets we've got to try and meet, but food production is what we do. So it's taking a holistic approach to all three of these things. And if we can get that balance right, which to a large degree we're already doing in Scotland, which is something, as Robert says, we should be proud of, but taking a sort of holistic approach to all three of these is definitely the way forward. And the reports highlighted that, that what our main fundamental role is looking at activity, activity-based um, future policy, and, uh, and, and addressing all three of these issues. Because... Um, environmental issues, 
food production, biodiversity, they're not individuals, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. If we can tie them all together, efficiencies does, does apply to environmental benefit and climate change benefits, as well as, as um, efficiencies of individual farms. And I'll just ask you all, I'm just keen to kind of know how you think, you know, the industry is at the moment in terms of dealing with, um, you know, climate change and greenhouse gas emissions and all that. Martin, I'll come to you first of all, you know, you put the the, the survey together along with uh, Joyce there. Are you, were you surprised by some of the responses and results you got or were, were you pretty much expecting it as it was going to be? Uh, well, we, knew, we knew because of the targets that are, that, that are set that we've got some serious challenges ahead and we accept that. But I mean, I think we've got to turn these challenges into opportunities, as Robert's already said. And I think we've got a fantastic opportunity here. I mean, I, but to be honest, my glasses are full on this. And I think from a sustainable farming production system in Scotland, we're ahead of the game, but we don't shout enough, you know, again, what Robert said, we don't shout enough from the rooftops of where we are. Um, some of the challenges we do have is um, likes of methane issues that, you know, the, the beef cattle in particular, um, sheep are the same, methane issues seems to be the sort of the bad guys out there. But the challenge is uh, the way these calculations are done at the present time uses a calculation a model called GWP 100, Global Warming Potential 100, and that was that was designed back in the 90s and uh, implemented by the Paris Agreement 2006. And it's way outdated now. We should be looking. Oxford University developed a, a different calculation called GWP Star, which recognises the short-term impacts of methane. And um, so all these things that, as science is evolving. We see that science becoming more in favour of Scottish agriculture. And these are the kind of opportunities we need to grasp because beef cattle, you know, Scotch beef, Scotch lamb, um, a lot of the products, Scotch whiskey, malting barley, fantastic product. It's one of our biggest incomes in Scotland. Um, but we, we, we don't shout enough about it, but we can do it in a sustainable manner. In the previous uh, video cast, we had uh, Dave Ray. He mentioned that agriculture has to play, you know, an and uh, a, a massive role in improving environment through reduced emissions, carbon sequestration and improved biodiversity. So Joyce, it's a balance. You said that at the top, it, it, you know, it is going to be a balance. So how do you think the, these outcomes um, should be measured? Measure it's like, how, how do we get the farmers on the journey is what uh, my main take home message from the work that we did and so, you know there's methane inhibitors and there's great research coming out of New Zealand just now which will be you know and actually breeding of specific lines of animals that are less um, emitting of, of, of the you know the grasses that are, are causing the problem but we've got regenerative farming that we it's a different journey that people are looking at and you know making the most of the land that we have and farming it in a, a more sympathetic way you know from the the 10 weeks that we met we've had lots of presentations and i have looked at my own farm with a completely set of different new glasses and i am looking at fencing off a natural birch wood which is a huge um, asset for taking carbon sequestrating carbon into the into the land and it's actually better than planting trees so going to plant off quite a massive area of that and um, use it on the winter to to winter cattle in so it still need to be grazed but not in the summer um, peatland restoration huge opportunities um, going forward there carbon trading will be another one that will you know it's how we farm we'll still produce food but we'll be farming a different way as well and 
wildlife corridors, Martin um, came up with an absolutely mint idea, and it was to join up farms right across the country with wildlife corridors, because then wildlife can move along, and it's making it a nicer place for people to come and visit. And currently, we've just come out of lockdown again, and we want to invite people into our beautiful countryside, and we want to make it even better and even more inviting and a better place to come. So I think it's balancing your food production and how you grow your land, how you're growing your crops, but also how you're taking a holistic approach to what we do. Robert, how would you like to see the government uh, support this change, if at all, to help support food production in particular? Yeah, Dougie, um, the government's support is a, is a key question at the moment as, as we head into the political agenda. But some people um, say that farmers are subsidised, but I turn that around and I say that we're not subsidised. It's a food security payment, in my opinion. And it is to keep food on the table for the general public. And it's we're producing high quality food a lot of the time at below the cost of production. You know, we're not getting full reward for what we produce until such time that we do get rewarded in a proper manner and a proper price. The government are going to have to, um, you know, keep these food security payments coming in some format. Now, Scotland is a different place to the rest of Europe or the rest of the UK. Our terrain is so different, you know, so going to Joyce in Armadale with her, her sheep on the hills, you know, she's she's getting a, a, a ewe lamb payment at the moment. We've got a payment for Scottish beef calves. You know, we, we've just had a, um, a, a payment on um, capital grant scheme, you know, for, for investing in capital items. So we need to look at all these different sectors within Scotland and keep money flowing through the system. And there's nobody better than farmers when they do receive money, they spend it, which keeps the local community going, whether it's shed builders, joiners, electricians, plumbers, you know, so it goes around, you know, um, so, so farmers are great at doing that and keeping the local community going and the local community vibrant, in my opinion. Now, we, I think you've all said it's important they were shouting from the, the rooftops about how, you know, good the quality of, of the, the food is produced in Scotland by the farmers and, and, and you know, supporting brand Scotland. Joyce, you're obviously big on your social media. You've been on the telly a lot in this farming life. You do a lot for women's farming as well. But how can farmers, organisations and potentially the government help maintain and build upon Scotland's reputation, which is pretty good around the world, for quality food production? we need to get really proud. We need to be like how we felt on Saturday night when Scotland won the rugby the whole time. <laughs> and just like, get in there. And just, and, you know, and come, come back with the facts and the research. So, you know, in the, up in my hill just now, we have lots of curlews just back for the, from the winter, a lapwings, a golden plover. And not to take it down to a fine point, the eating cow poo that was on deferred grazing that that cattle grazed all last autumn and early part of the winter, because we're creating habitats. And it's to tell the whole story. Yep, you're eating Scotch beef, but it's been reared in a special way. It's probably got world leading um, welfare standards compared to other meats, but really come and say, this is what we do and this is why we do it in this way and this is what we produce and become great storytellers because we're great echo chambers into each other as farmers but we need to take it to simple terms and speak to uh, as if we were speaking to a young child and say in simple terms this is what we do we produce red meat 
from land that couldn't produce vegetables or a, you know, crops, but we grow great grass and we grow heather and we can do all of it. But we need to be really proud about what we do. And I think sometimes we are too defensive and too much on the attack. And that's not a good way. Look at yourself and think, what are you projecting to the public? Well, you're pretty good at getting that message across, Joyce, but how can the industry be better then? How do you reckon? Because, you know, you, you manage that very well. I think we need to look in the mirror and say, if I was listening to myself on the TV or if I was listening to myself speaking to somebody out in, you know, in the local shop, I mean, we're key players in our communities. We're really fragile, rural, remote communities that we live and farm in. And I bet you that Martin and Robert are, do countless other things as well as farming, the same as I'm chair of my whole committee, gracing committees, you know, community councils, you know, you will be, the farmers and crofters will be the first people there to do the community part. And I think it's to actually say when you're dealing with people within your community, maybe that new people have moved into your community, um, you know, we produce um, Scotch lamb and Scotch beef. If you can look out for that labels in the supermarkets, it's really helpful. Robert, I'm going to ask you the same question to Joyce about, you know, you know, you mentioned right at the top, I mean, you're shouting from the hilltops. How can the industry be better at that then? I think um, social media has got a fantastic uh, tool, is a fantastic tool to, to get that message across. But the downside is most farmers are shy people. And as Joyce said, if you look in the mirror, some farmers would probably get a shock, you know, at what they see. So, um, and it, social media is a dangerous place. And I don't need to say this, you know, Joyce, Joyce has come up against that. But, you know, in the last 12 months, it's just brought it home to me. You know, Joyce um, mentioned supermarkets there, but the local high street, you know, the, the butcher shops, you know, the grocers on the high street are buzzing at the moment. They seem to have had a, um, a fortune, you know, a great fortune of, of um, people coming back to them and using the local butchers. And in turn, the local butchers are flying at the moment. You know, they can't get enough of our Scotch beef and our Scotch lamb at present to sell to the housewife. And that's fantastic. And I hope that continues. And they're doing a great job at promoting um, local farmers. You know, I love going into the butcher shop and seeing my name on the, on the blackboard. You know, and that happens all over Scotland. You know, and, and the butchers are proud people to say that we've sourced this animal or, or, or um, beef or lamb or poultry, whatever, um, just along the road. And they can tell the story for us on our behalf and we can help them with that. So there is fantastic organizations out there. We've got Quality Meat Scotland, you know, um, to help. We've got the Royal Highland Education Trust to educate the school children. You know, um, there's, there's schemes on the go at the moment, FaceTime a farmer. So you get the whole classroom um, onto the farm for 10 minutes, 15 minutes in a, in a week or every 10 days. And, and you know, the children love it. And, and the questions that you get from that are just um, mind blowing sometimes. <laughs> I'm sure they are. Yeah, the progeny thing is, is hugely important, isn't it? And yeah, as you say, going to your local butcher, knowing exactly where your meat's coming from and you know you can drive past it and you've seen it being produced. It's a, it's a great thing. And, and it is a fantastic thing also, Robert. I agree with you 100% that the the Scottish public seem to be getting behind during the lockdown and let's hope post lockdown that they carry on eating um, locally produced and sustainably produced uh, meat and vegetables and all the rest of it. Now, staying with you, Robert, um, you have, you know, been proactive in sort of preparing 
for your business for the future. I mean, you uh, back in 2013, as a Nuffield Scholar, you explored the benefits of electronic identification. How do you think then Scottish farmers can go about making their business and making their life more future fit? Um, yeah, I did a Nuffield Scholarship and uh, spent 13 weeks out of the country and travelled the world uh, to six different countries and, and that was mind-blowing for me to see the advances in livestock technology that other countries were using and we weren't at that point but I think we've come a long way in the last seven eight years um, and you know it's just simple things like using weigh bars on your cattle crush to weigh your animals and look at your feed efficiency um, you know is the nutrition that you're feeding these animals doing the job that it says on the tin is the nutritionist who's giving you advice giving you the correct advice and not just trying to sell you something to line his own pocket you know, so these are things that we need to do. You know, I, I was brought up in a dairy farm and every morning or every afternoon in, in the milking parlour, you could see how much milk that cow was producing by looking in the milk jar. But in a beef farm, you can't monitor that by just looking. You need to measure to be able to do that. So there's lots of tools in the toolbox to allow us farmers to be more efficient, you know, whether it's weigh bars, electronic identification is a means of capturing data. But we need joined up um, organizations. There's no point in collecting and collating data if you're not going to use it. And there's no, in my opinion at the moment, there's far too many companies trying to um, sell you down their road or, or, or do their thing, but they're not joined up with other organizations and we're needing a flow of data from the farm here, right to the slaughterhouse, right to the supermarket, or right to the butcher's market on the history of that animal from conception to plate. And that's whether it's malting barley from when it's sown, grown, how it's treated, till it's in the whiskey bottle going to America or Japan from Scotland. You know, we need to have a full traceability and we need to use every tool in the toolbox, in my opinion, to allow farmers um, to, to do this job properly. Robert, you're a tenant farmer. So are the challenges slightly different for you to make sure that your business is more carbon efficient? Yeah, Dougie, I'm, I'm a tenant farmer here on Lothian Estates and Lord Lothian is, is my landlord. So I haven't got the luxury of fencing off areas of farmland and planting trees just how I would like to do that. Um, the state are in control of woodlands uh, over my area that, that I farm. So that is a massive challenge for me as a tenant. Um, and I just... I wouldn't like to see um, the rug pulled from beneath us because I'm a tenant farmer. Um, you know, I, I get it. I want to put corridors in for wildlife. I would love to plant corners, but it's just not as easy as a tenant, as a landowner. Joyce, I guess it's important to get that balance right with regard to the, the tenant farmers. Yes, indeed. Part of the Hill Upland and Crofting Group final report and we spent a lot of time and it was quite a quite a hard discussion to hear actually was that actually tenanted sector could lose out if they were going to get land taken out of production for tree planting for peatland restoration so it needs to be a combined combined approach in which that the the tenant as well as the landowner has benefit because the tenant actually has to manage that ground it's fine for me to go and do peatland restoration out here in the hill in Armadale, but if I have my neighbour's deer comes in and wallows all over that peatland restoration work, it's a complete waste of time. So there needs to be really joined up thinking by the Scottish Government here on how we go ahead with carbon, carbon trading, carbon situation, and how the tenanting sector is looked after. And I'm sure Martin could come in with more detail on that. Yeah. 
Yeah, one of the things that I'm really concerned about, and I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about everything. My glass is always full, half full, but uh, I nearly said full there, and it usually is. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but in terms of, of, of concerns, um, carbon trading is, is something, it's going to be the, the new buzzword. Maybe the sort of, some people talk about the sort of new oil industry in Scotland. That's a real worry, especially for the tenanted sector. Um, and we need to be awful concerned that we don't see you know, a lot of trees getting planted in what is good tenanted land. For, the, for, for sale as a carbon credit. And I think we need to be mindful that instead of selling these carbon credits as a one-off, um, we could actually sell these carbon credits on our product every single year. I mean, for us, because what could happen, as Robert said, we could get the rug pulled from under our feet here and we lose these credits. The fact that we have maybe big multinationals or possibly even airlines, they maybe buy, I don't know, eight, 10,000 hectares of trees for carbon credits, that doesn't make their planes any greener. All that does is takes the credit away from what our production um, systems are. And that's a real worry for the tenant sector. So I, my view is I would agree that there's a possibility of selling some, but within the industry. From my perspective, I'd rather see some of the intensive sector, see some of the credits we possibly have in our whole unit here. Because when we look at the poultry sector and the pig sector, which is both intensive sectors, um, who maybe sometimes challenge or maybe more challenged when it comes to, to emissions, I'd rather see they got our credits because I rely on that. The interdependency between all sectors and agriculture is absolutely massive. I actually rely, as a hill farmer, I actually rely on the pigs and poultry sector because of their demand for their grain. That demand for the grain produces a byproduct for straw, which I use as a bedding product for our continental cows and calves that are inside. That product then produces dung that we put onto the land that increases the organic matter in our soil, which helps the carbon sequestration capabilities of our soil. So it's a big cycle, but the interdependency between all sectors and agriculture is massive. So that carbon credits should be on the products we're selling and we could sell them every year. And that's where the sustainability bit comes in. And then we probably get that share of, of what we've never had before because farmers and primary producers in Scotland, all too often, the buck stops with us. Any cost implication, anything that comes, it comes back to the primary producer. We don't have the fortunate position of saying, we want this for our product. Every other item you purchase, there's a price tag on it. We're on the open market here, unless you're sometimes in a contract that tends to be an open market, and that's what the market's there to, to pay. So that's, that's, I see that as a real challenge. Thank you very much. It is a very fine answer indeed. But before we wrap up, I want you to all suggest, if you would, one action you'd offer fellow farmers as they consider how to make sure their business is fit for the future. Martin. Well, in terms of, in terms of uh, looking at efficiencies, I think we can all do a lot. And I think we can all look at, look at what our own business is doing. And I think it's targeting our inputs better. So it's looking at efficiencies. It's targeting our inputs, whether it's been variable rate fertilizer applications, variable rate lime. It's been more efficient with the livestock production. Uh, Robert's talked about using electronic identification. It's about using uh, uh, natural uh, um, natural breeding uh, management that we're, we're using the best stock we have all the time. That happens. We've got fantastic stock people in Scotland from a livestock perspective. And again, using these efficiencies in technology, the arable sector are way ahead in comparison to what we're doing in some of the livestock areas. We're already using variable rate application, GPS systems that's actually targeting inputs so that we're not wasting any uh, wasting any uh, any inputs going onto the land and actually keeping to a minimum the, the emissions that's coming out. So we do have these 
three things. Emissions reductions is top, that has to be a top priority. Um, environmental enhancement is a top priority. But let's not forget what we do first and foremost, and that's produce food. And I would like to see, I would like to see on a side, I'd like to see a bit more in the education from that. We would now spend around about eight or nine percent of our income on food. We used to spend about 40 odd percent, about 50 years ago, 40 odd percent. We now take food for granted far too much. We know it's going to be there. We'd like to see people eating seasonal, seasonal and eating our own local produce. But in terms of what we can do, we will do our bit. We've got a fantastic opportunity to, do, to, to play that part. And as farmers and crofters in Scotland, I think we're in a great position to lead that in terms of climate change mitigation and uh, environmental enhancement. But let's not forget, we produce food first and foremost. Indeed you do. Robert, your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, farming is in a good place and it's all about engaging the next generation. You know, I've got two young sons who are keen, mad keen on farming and we need to engage uh, the youngsters and uh, keep them coming through. There's a bit of a lost generation in the middle there, but I think um, farming, dare I say, it, is probably more sexy now. There's more youngsters wanting to come into agriculture, um, you know, through social media, advertising, and uh, it's a fantastic career. You know, there's no day the same we need to look at knowledge transfer. Farmers, every day is a school day, in my opinion. You know, you always learn something. And the day you stop learning is the day you should give up, I would suggest. Um, so, yeah, fantastic opportunity. Uh, let's keep on going. And uh, as Martin quite rightly said, don't forget we're producing food. Okay, Joyce, we'll uh, finish up with you. Okay, my take-home message is don't be afraid of the future. Embrace and be flexible. Be flexible in your approach of what you can do. You know, we maybe, as Robert hinted, there's kind of a lost generation which stagnated maybe slightly. I do feel there's a good buzz, there's a good energy, and there's a drive and passion there. People really care. There are some great advocates out there. And, you know, and we just all need to not be afraid because I think, I feel myself that we can make a real difference. We are the answer. We have the answers to some of the climate change problems and we can do it if we can do food and production and environmental enhancement and reduce our carbon footprint. Joyce, Martin, Robert, thanks very much indeed. And thank you for listening to our second podcast, Future Fit Farming, brought to you by the Royal Bank of Scotland. If you enjoyed our first two episodes, you can listen to the first episode or listen to this one again on our YouTube channel. And for more thought leadership on this sector, simply search agriculture on the free Royal Bank Business Hub.